0: Hi, this is Mark. Hello, this is Matt. And welcome to our podcast, Lessons from the Field, where we talk with staff members from the Austin Independent School District about teaching and learning in our community.
1: Our discussions focus on distance learning and how it impacts teachers and students.
0: Well, hello. Welcome back to our podcast, Lessons from the Field. You guys are in for a treat today. We have not one, but two Austin ISD teachers from an elementary school, a third and fourth grade teacher who work very closely together, and we're excited to hear what they have to say about working with their kids and families right now. Can we go ahead and start, Alex, if you would introduce yourself first, and then when she's done Ryan's, the same thing.
2: My name is Alex Hassett, and I teach fourth grade math and science at Baranoff Elementary, which is um, down south, and it feeds into Bowie. And I'm also the campus innovation coach, so um, we've had the pleasure of doing Leadership Pathways, so um, kind of what you'll hear today is what Ryan and I and some other great teachers on our campus have been working on for the past couple of years, and we're excited to share it. Hi, my
3: name is Ryan Rutherford. I teach third grade at Baranoff Elementary. Just wrapped up my 11th year of education. I have my master's from the University of Texas in Language and Literacy Studies, so while I teach everything, I definitely have a passion for teaching kids to really love uh, reading and be successful, strong readers and thinkers and firers and researchers.
0: Well, great. And Alex, are you a native Austinite, native Texan?
2: I am a native Texan. I'm from San Antonio. Um, I came up to University of Texas for my undergrad, and then I started working at Austin ISD and got my master's through Texas A&M, ironically, but I'm not an Aggie. So I have it in <laughs> curriculum and instruction. So I've been in Austin ever since I started studying at UT.
0: I like the clarification. My degrees um, from- I have
2: horns in my, in my class. We even have longhorns on our shirts. So whenever I get an Aggie parent and they figure out I have my master's through there, it's this whole thing. So just need to clarify, I'm not an Aggie.
0: <laughs> Thank you. And Ryan, what about you? A native Texan, native Austinite?
3: I am a native Texan.
2: I grew up in
3: Houston in the Cypher school district. So yeah, so I'm like that in, out in the burbs of Houston. Okay. Houston's so big, it's like mostly Burp now.
0: So how long have you worked together at Baranoff? How many years do you I think that's... has
2: been three years.
1: Three years together. Together.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Thank you for sharing that introduction.
1: Great. Awesome. So the first question that I have, um, and feel free, either one of you want to chime in on this question first, but what has been your kind of current reality working with students and families as we've not only transitioned from face-to-face learning in the classroom, moved into this crazy pandemic situation with everything having to kind of bring these types of interactions online. And now that the school year is kind of finished out, like kind of tell us a little bit about your, your thoughts and how that entire, you know, from mid-March to the end of the school year kind of looked like for you. I can go ahead
2: and start. Um, initially when this happened, I was kind of like, "Whoo! I'm so glad I have everything on blend and like, my classroom can easily go home. And that was not as accurate as I thought. A lot of kids either blossomed with it or had trouble. Because we do personalized learning, I found a lot of parents were freaked out with the idea of like, here's how to show mastery, go for it, anything you want. And so I had to rein myself in just because the parents have learned education is one way. So kind of in this, I um, noticed a need to really educate parents. And i um, I even had a conversation with a student because they were upset. They were like, I don't have as much choices in class. And I said, well, it's because your parents have never been given choice at school. So this idea is just mind blowing that y'all can do whatever you want. And so they kind of think you're probably messing with them saying, oh, I can't, the teacher said I can do whatever I want. So it was really eye opening to me that like we have to have parents unlearn what school is in order to really give these kids these authentic tasks that allow them to take student ownership like the environments we have in our own uh, rooms, physical school. So that was a really big reality check for me. was I was like, "Oh, this is going to be seamless. My kids adopt this." And it really was. There was a lot of explaining and a lot of education that I had to go behind it. And I ultimately had to, you know, take away less choice and be more explicit than I normally am um, during the school day, just to kind of be able to alleviate that stress parents' parents were experiencing. I also will be honest where I did not enjoy it. Like Ryan and I have had this conversation multiple times where it's like I miss the kids. I miss the collaboration. I miss the interactions. Like this is not what school is. And I think when we initially did the um, lessons from the field to get everyone ready for distance learning, we made it very clear like we're not replicating school at home. And I think a lot of people realize that and even like I have to bring myself back to like, this is not school. We're just giving, providing that extension at home. So um, it, it really caused me to reflect and, and think about how I can do like, the best speech, um, not only my students' needs, but my parents. And a lot of things came out of it, or even like kids that were struggling that normally didn't. And it turned out they a phone call. it just needed that connection and that conversation with their teachers went on and went, And then their parents say, well, it's like the light switch. On went back on because they're back to their normal selves, so it definitely um, caused, I think, all of us to be more aware and even more reflective in our practices, taking everything into account that's going on, you know, even the unknown. So it was definitely an interesting process. I would say that there were some successes in there, but I also had to really tailor back and collaborate with other teachers like Ryan to see what's working for them, and how we can better meet the needs of our kids and parents from a distance.
1: Great, thank you. I appreciate that, Alex. Yeah, that, um,
3: yes, uh, Alex and I have had some uh, pretty lengthy conversations about this. Man, realities? It, it. I think going to online school or online distance learning was far more challenging for me than I thought it would be. You know, Alex and I have spent a long time, like, looking at Edtech, learning different platforms like the ins and outs of both of them and like she said we thought this was going to be like a really seamless process and in terms of designing like blend modules knowing like how to give kids choice and accessibility on different assignments how to embed different resources. None of that changed. Like that that was that was a hard thing for a lot of the people that I collaborate with on my team. But you know, we were able to come together and support one another through different screen sharings and Zoom calls. But it was so much more challenging because of everything else. You know, part like. Most of the joy from our job comes from those interactions that we have every day with kids. When we, you know, get to work one-on-one with students or in small groups and seeing that learning really take hold or being able to be responsive in that moment to immediately push that kid to think deeper about whatever we're learning. I mean, that's what, you know, really brings uh, joy for me as an educator. And just with the asynchronicity of what we're doing, that was really... Uh, that was, I mean, that was really hard for me, and I think you know, trying to set up different systems for myself um, as you know, as I work from home. I think that was a big challenge. You know, things would come in at different times from different students, based on like their own realities, and 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 to give up <laughs> to like not have that sense of control of like, all right, so here's my class and my four walls, and you know we can do things. I can set schedules and time limits on things or I can push things to go longer you know (laughs) giving up that control was was really challenging and there there was so much more than I had to do on a communication front with uh the families that I work with and you have to strike this balance of you know what's too, what's way too much like communication and what too little communication. I mean, we're still, you know, in the middle of a pandemic. There's so much (laughs) that's going on in the world. Like for me, I had to realize that, you know, like things get lost in the shuffle. You know, our our admin sends out campus wide emails that are are dense with the the current information that they have. And then I had to balance that with, okay, well, what do I send out in addition? Do I reiterate everything? When new information comes to me, do I immediately send that out? You know, balancing that with, you know, having to, to wait to make sure that we have all of the um, oh I'm gonna, I'm gonna say probably the wrong words for this but like the student data privacy information all of all of that information when we have permission for students to work or to come to like classes and meetings or to be able to you know post something to a flipgrid so I, I for me I had to really balance how much am i sending out how much do I expect to get back from parents do I expect them to email me back every week and tell me like what's happening in their lives, and, I, you know, the balance then, like, that I struck as a teacher might not have been enough for some parents and might have been, like, way too much for other parents. It was rude. Like, there were so many things to think about, like, all while trying to, like, manage my own mental health during, like, this time. We crazy amounts of stress, anxiety. We don't know what's happening the next day. We don't know what's happening within the world. So to try and keep all that, I mean, that was such, (laughs) that was such a challenge on, on all fronts, but not to be like super negative about it. I mean, there were things that like came out of this that were, that were really great. I think to piggyback on what Alex said, I think we see parents who now realize that their kids can be independent learners. That when given an opportunity to do a project, to continue research on a topic, that they can do this. And of course, you're going to come with questions, you're going to come with like technology troubleshooting to, uh, to their parents, but they can do things on their own. And they can create like really amazing things and do some really powerful learning, you know, even outside of school. And I think that's going to help position students as being more agentive in their own learning in the eyes of their parents.
2: That's a Great connection to that. And actually, was one of students a few years ago, and our fourth grade team talked about how giving these opportunities, like, yeah, we had to rein them in quite a bit, just for the parent's comfort level. But we had one student who started to make his own news channel on YouTube and NPR found out about it and did a whole piece on him. And
1: that I is said, awesome. Holy yes,
2: God. it is amazing. And so I remember the one I saw where I just was so proud and just tickled that he did this. One of our projects was we were learning about photosynthesis um, as part of our biomes unit. And so they had to make like a rap or a poem or a song, and he sang about photosynthesis to um, oh that song in the eighties that's like da 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 da. Oh, <laughs> and, yes, way. it was so old, and it's crazy because this kid, like we've seen him grow, where he's is uninterested. He's just in a whole nother world. And then to see him given this opportunity and his parents supporting him to make these. I mean, and there's mind blowing graphics in the background, like there's turtles swimming and stuff, to so just give these kids these opportunities. They blossoms. But and it's not just him, it's a lot of families. Like I had a lot of families that made they were like, you know what, this situation's terrible, but we're gonna have fun about it. So there are so many moms and dads, and brothers and sisters and dogs that were in plays about things for math and science in ELA. Like there's there's a lot of good that came out of it even though we were in a really bad situation. I think that's really important to highlight. But but like Ryan said, I think it was a balance for everyone, for parents, for kids. I know as an educator, I struggled just like Ryan with anxiety, work-life balance. Like I, I mean having I mean a kid turn in something at 10 o'clock at night and that's okay because that's their reality. Like they're all their parents can be working at home and they share a laptop. Like They're going to get it done when they can, but I also had to really assess myself and my needs so that way I could continue to provide these kids with these wonderful opportunities because as you know, you can't pour from a pitcher with nothing in it. So I think it really reinforced self-reflection and self-care as well. So that way we could continue to make meaningful connections with kids.
1: Yeah, right. That's that's absolutely important, Alex. And I, I like the way that you said that. You know, keep, keeping that balance is you know very important, especially because you don't know what the home life environment is like for some of these students. And you know, turning in an assignment at ten o'clock at night is maybe just the only time that they're able to do it. And so really trying to be mindful of that and, you know, being empathetic with that particular family life, it, I, I think it's just something that we've all kind of had to learn in, in this, um, you know, new way of learning. So appreciate y'all, both of y'all sharing y'all's um, insight towards that question.
2: And that, that whole equity point is a lot of what drove what we taught people for our lessons from the field is that we have to know that you can't be like, classes at 10 o'clock on Zoom, because that's not the reality for everyone. And so we worked really hard to build our courses, like Ryan said, in an asynchronous way, so that way kids could access as they could, which of course, like Ryan said, came up with some issues, but we really did try to keep equity in our mind and just meet all of our kids' needs at this point.
3: Yeah, and just, you know, one of the things that I, I think is really important that's coming out of this for, teachers for students and families is like just because like even with our uh, issues of access and equity like I think we can take a really appreciative lens and you know all agree that you know kids are still learning without us we are not like their sole source of learning you know anytime that kids are spending time with their families talking about books like exploring things online watching videos together just even having like conversations or cooking together all of these are still like really important, valid sources of learning, you know, that that look different than a traditional school setting would. And when we come back in whatever capacity that we are, I think educators are really going to need to be mindful about how can we really make that authentic connection to what it is that the kids have been experiencing for the last however many months and connect that into the learning that we can do in the class you know a lot of kids are going to be doing hands-on things they're going to be you know taking walks around their neighborhood looking at I mean of course this all happened in like Austin's most beautiful time of the year but (laughs) thinking about like the wildflowers that they saw or pictures that they took and really like (laughs) almost like scavenging for those connections to uh to connect those to you know what it is that we do in school
0: Brian, I love the comment that you made before about the, just because the kids are not in buildings, the learning doesn't stop. And, and, it, and how we define what that learning looks like is still important. They're still developing skills. They're still growing. And we just need to really be aware of that and the differences of that learning. And what the kids are going to bring back, whatever that looks like in the fall. Both of you guys, in your response before, mentioned about how you've talked a lot about this, and so I'm wondering. And and you guys, I know, collaborate a lot with the kids. Can you talk about what that looks like and how you collaborate, and who brings what to the table, and how you work to support the students progressing through the grade levels, and what that looks
3: like? You know, Alex and I have worked pretty closely together for the last three years, and we haven't been on the same team with one another, although. I mean, that would, that'd be great, but so when, whenever you That's feel like dream. coming down to third grade, you let no, me know. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've done fourth grade. <laughs> no,
2: no, no. I like my math and science.
3: We've spent a lot of time working together and, you know, and we, we have a pretty, we have a good friendship with one another. And I know that, you know, we spent a lot of time building trust with one another. You know, we've had an opportunity to go to uh, conferences together.
2: We even went to Rhode Island together where I learned that Ryan's afraid of flying. So that was, but we, I mean, we had four schools together that had completely transitioned to blended and personalized learning up there and then kind of think tank, like what can that look like? So we've definitely had a lot of shared fun experiences together at conferences. Like you said, I feel like this past it has been a lot of venting, to be completely honest. We let each other vent and then we start, we kind of, we kind of see like, do they want us to problem solve? Do they not? And so a lot of it just starts like you will never guess what I'm experiencing. And then by the end of it, we normally have problem solved it out.
3: Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. That is, that's a, that's a big part of my creative process is just ranting about the things that are going wrong. <laughs> and as I'm doing that, it's like, OK, well, I could do this. OK, it's really talking myself off a ledge and then <laughs> having Alex like chime in. And you could do this. (laughs) But, you know, like when we're in the building, I mean, this is like something as easy as just like shooting like an email or sharing like a Google Doc with a comment of like, hey, what do you think of this? Or I'm designing this playlist. Do you have any feedback for it? And, you know, both of us have learned like tremendous amounts from one another. And it's just... You know, I always like to think that, like, I learn more in, like, little five-minute exchanges, like, just talking to another colleague than I do, like, sitting down for hours and hours and reading a book or going to, like, a lengthy PD on something, because it's just, like, those little, like, those short little aha moments are the things that really stick out to me and that I can immediately take into my practice, and I get a lot of this from Alex. You yeah,
2: know? and I'll brag on him. I, um, when we initially started trying... But to shift our pedagogical approach years ago, I could not wrap my brain around how the heck am I going to do math with a playlist. And so I went and I spent my planning just in his room observing. And that has completely shifted my instruction, like completely changed it. I feel really bad for the kids I had three years ago because I'm like, that was just not as tailored to them as it is now. And so I think we've done a really good job in our friendship and leadership pathways did of promoting a culture at our school where hey come in my room like I you can bring 20 people in here but like we're all here to learn and we did start a blended and personalized learning PLC this past year and that was really cool to see a lot of people that were like I refuse to use technology I'm not going to do this and by the end of the year they're making playlists and talking about how their kids are reflecting and things like that and I think it's just we open the door to hey, we're just here to give tidbits, and so we would have even have, like, one of the fifth grade teachers get really excited, and so she would send me a playlist, and I would give her notes back, and then I would send her one of mine, so I think kind of organically what Ryan and I have been doing with each other, we've been able to spread to other people just to know, like, hey, the best PD is a teacher down the hallway, so make sure you're using each other.
3: Yeah, and we felt really hurt on our campus about that, and, like, just getting opportunities to You know, leave or or like have somebody come in and cover a class while we go and watch something in a different teacher's classroom. Or last year, I you know took a personal day and you know just went to go see a bunch of different teachers um, around the district. I mean, just seeing people in action doing the things that they you know do on a day-to-day basis. You know, put like takes us out of the isolation that uh, teachers find themselves in in terms of just just being able to see what we do in the classroom. I mean like at the end of the day, it's an isolated profession because it's you and maybe a co-teacher in your room and that's it. But, you know, being able to like go out and see just like, just even like things like nerdy little transitions or just all these, like, like one of the things that I went to go look for on that day was just like little ways that I can like bring joy into the classroom. Like sometimes I get like in my head and uh, just get really driven of like no we need to do this 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 this. these are all our goals and you know i'm so like goal oriented that i get in that headspace and I, I bring that that energy into my class sometimes and i really have to step back and reflect as an educator like you know like schools also about like creating joyous experiences you know if we don't have that positivity around learning and being at school then i mean that just dwindles in years to come so I mean there's there's lots of things to look so yeah I mean there's a lot of things to look for as we collaborate with one another and it doesn't just have to be like completely like just academic focused
2: either so no he's even been wonderful and because I don't teach I mean yes kids are reading in my classroom so I indeed am my reading teacher Ryan because that's his pet but trying to study for my national boards and like ooh, walk me through this and so I mean he's even taken the time To help me better myself, I would just say it's we're both very driven by goals and value each other's professional opinions on everything, and and it's really spread throughout our campus. Where you know, I've I've seen other little. I have a gold digger chart in my classroom where the kids put their goals, and so now I see other gold diggers. So that's pretty funny. But it all started. (laughs) we We did learning walks, so we really get the most out of out of all of our teachers on our campus, and. And I know, like, throughout this process, and I would call Ryan about it, I go on walks with my partner teacher and then a second grade teacher every day. So we would just sit and talk about, like, what are the issues going on here? So then I would call Ryan and be like, hey, second grade's experienced this. What are you experiencing? So I think it's just a really open dialogue and friendship that we have with each other that really drives us forward.
3: And and one of the big things that, that I've noticed is, like, our campus is not interested in being competitive with itself like there we have yeah
1: tell me more about that what does that mean
3: we have such a spirit of like collaboration it's not like we have like teachers who are trying to like be like those standout teachers and like but like i'm gonna shine but i'm also not gonna share things with you anything that i do in my classroom i will give to anybody who wants it or can take that and you know, make it their own and iterate on it differently, and I think that's something that's, that I find that has been so refreshing about our campus is that everybody has, everybody is so willing to share everything that they have. Nobody's really working in isolation if they don't want to. Yeah, you
2: know, I mean, it goes with our motto. Our motto is better together, which we all kind of laughed at when we first got it, because, you know, it's a little cheesy, but it's really true. Um,
3: how true is it now (laughs) it's very
2: true now like if we didn't have each other we would not have pulled off distance learning the way that our campus did and given each other the grace that we all deserved with it so like ryan said we're just really lucky to be at a campus that really values teachers pushing themselves and being okay to fail because i mean That's how we learn and we grow as educators. That's how our kids learn and grow. And so I think because we're able to take that risk and really be open with people, we're that much more successful because we can all come together to really make sure that um, things work or problem solve if they don't. And yeah, no, that's
1: that's very well said. Yeah, I, I, sorry, I just want to jump in here real quick because just a couple of things that I've heard y'all say is that this whole idea of collaboration, I think is one of those essential things that as an education industry or profession or however you want to word it, I, I I feel that that's like one of the most powerful things that you could ever do, not only for yourself, but for students and results and all those types of things. But the way you have outlined this, it's almost like, Man, I wish everybody had an opportunity to listen to you all. I mean, hopefully, right, with this podcast and it going out to, you know, different, you know, places all over the world and whatnot. But I I think just hearing the last few minutes of y'all talking about what does collaboration look like and how well it has worked for you, in my opinion, I, I think that should be almost like the the standard across, you know, all campuses, you know, that that do serve students. One follow-up question that I, I do have and just a wondering is y'all obviously have done a lot of things together and have Gone out and you know sought out professional development, and I know Alex, you talked about going to Rhode Island, and you know those those types of things. How have y'all been able to work together collaboratively, collaboratively to overcome any challenges, both moving from and you can use examples moving from a face to face environment to an online environment, or just generally speaking?
2: I know I start. There's two three people I automatically go to, and that Kathy Massey, my teaching partner, because. If it's something to do with our kids, then we definitely have different lenses and perspectives on things. And so they help to balance each other out. So like I'll first go to her and then uh, Chris Higgins in second grade is also phenomenal. She did leadership pathways with us. And so she's another great thing to because she thinks completely different than I do. And then I always go to Ryan. Ryan's kind of like my litmus test of how much am I freaking out? And then... My fourth grade team as well, like I have a few of them where I'm like, okay, you're my litmus test. Am I freaking out for nothing? So just having those key people to go to and talk through things. I mean, there's not, I've not reached a problem yet that we haven't been able to problem solve and overcome. I know we all get our heads together. And whether it might be a student issue, I do informal surveys with them all the time where I don't see it. And so they might be like, this lesson was garbage. Don't ever teach it again, which one kid straight up told me when I changed a math lesson this year. So, like, I'm able to problem solve that way because I've given them an outlet to voice it. And then I can go to my teacher friends and colleagues and professionals and say, hey, this is the feedback I got. Help me.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, just really taking off the last thing that you said was just help me. Gosh, it's (laughs) I have had to do a lot of work personally on just allowing myself to be, like, publicly vulnerable. Uh, it's not something that I ever really enjoy doing still, but just knowing that it is okay to ask for help and <laughs> that's, yeah, I mean, ugh, ugh, it's even hard still talking about it. I'm like, gross. Uh, <laughs> vulnerability, yuck.
0: <laughs> but you know what? This is a common thing we've heard from several of the folks that we've interviewed is open and open yourself up. I mean, so I'm I'm glad you're bringing that up, Ryan. I didn't mean to interrupt, but it's it's common.
3: And yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it was. I mean, it, it's been, it's really been like a process for me. You know, there's, there's, I think when I started my career, there was so much like, you know, there are, the rest of my family's like in the business world. And like, if you're vulnerable there, then it's a sign of weakness. But it's like, so I've always like had that almost like ingrained in me, that like innate sense of like competition and like, don't show your weakness. be in um, And, you know, just it's, I it took a long time for me to like really reframe that in terms of education being, I mean, I agree with you,
2: Ryan, on the vulnerability. Like, I came from a family that's like, especially as a woman, you better not show that you don't know. Like, you fake it till you make it. Like, that is my family's motto. So when I first started teaching, I did not know what I was doing. And I was not strong enough to say, like, it's okay to ask for help. So, like, I think about my first couple years, and I'm like, oh, those poor children. Like, I could have done so much better if I just would have accepted, like, I needed help and there's nothing wrong with asking for help yeah uh, I,
3: <laughs> yes <laughs> exact same situation Jeez, yeah because I was the type of when, like I would know something's not working and I would just go home and like spend like six straight hours reading professional texts and thinking that I knew everything it was awful. God, so that's, I, can't imagine, that, I can't imagine trying to work with me in like my first like five years <laughs> of teaching. Like, oh, heaven.
0: <laughs> yeah, we all love Zoom and Teams. But, it, you know, as you're talking about tech and different things like that, that kind of makes me wonder a little bit. Alex, I remember when you presented Blend several years ago at a Lunch and Learn with the tech design team. And do you guys primarily use Blend or exclusively use Blend? At your grade level on campus, are you incorporating Seesaw? For so the lower or, grades,
2: use Seesaw. Um, okay. As we've discussed, that's much more developmentally appropriate for the kids to use. Um, so second grade is kind of a mix. Some of the teachers use Seesaw. Um, and, excuse me, I really stress this campus innovation coach. Like, we're, we're not trying anything new if you've been trying something. Like, as we transition to distance learning, this is already, like, crazy enough. Do not be like, oh, I'm going to throw a wrench in everything I've ever done and every process is these kids know at school. So we really were conscientious to think like, how can we replicate those processes at school? So that way there's, or sorry, at home from school. So that way there's some type of predictability for kids. So um, for a lot of them, like kinder, some use seesaw, some didn't, but they were able to transition to that relatively easy if they weren't. I know second grade is a mix of seesaw blood, and I think one did Google classroom, but I think from third grade, Ryan, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I know all of fourth and fifth use Blend. Yeah, they're great
3: to uh, use Blend as well. Yeah.
0: So, then uh, to follow up with that, have you discovered in this d- distance learning environment other tools to help support the kids, the families, yourselves that teachers may or may not know about?
2: I would say one that is life changing, especially like I was looking, um, no, I had a friend tell me about choosing one of the sessions, kind of like having conversations about returning to school and how one of the teachers was like, oh my gosh, if I give the same direction one more time, I'm going to freak out. And so I found that even though we were very explicit, some kids had, had questions, so I make a screencast. So it's just um, an extension on Chrome if you don't know what that is. And so I could literally walk through the kids click by click. This is what you do. And so I could even send it to the parents. And so that was really instrumental in helping them from home feel more successful because they could pause it when you play it as they need to. So um, I know fourth grade because I was really thinking about I don't want to be tech support all day even though that kind of ended up being a lot of it but that's okay we're all learning. We made screencasts of like okay what problem are we coming across whereas we would see patterns of okay now three parents have asked this question or three kids have messaged me on blend then it's I need to make something and send it out. So I had built out a section in my blend where it was just like help me And so it was like, okay, how to access the textbook, how to turn in something on blends, how to do this, how to do that. So parents said it was so much better. And I kind of think about their time, right? They're they're working and they're having to read our long emails, which Ryan said like was really hard for us because he didn't want to overwhelm them or underwhelm them and then be really confused. So I think those videos were really important, especially for our kids and their autonomy at this age is they could access them and problem solve on their own. So I would say Screencastify is golden. Definitely need in these situations. And what's cool, you can I record my math lessons on there. So um, you can record your screen. You can be writing on your screen, and they can see your face, or it can just be your voice. And so that's what I used a lot of times when I would be out with the sub. Is I would just make a video of myself teaching it on that, and the kids could access it in Blend. So it was basically an investment for me too in myself. Where if I had a kid struggling with that concept, and I couldn't pull them for small group, they could watch that video. So it's kind of nice instructionally and to support families as well.
3: Our team, our team did that as well. We i have got a fantastic teammate, Sarah Daylanel, who she's just, amazing. She is amazing. Um, she like the second, like <laughs> that we got <laughs> like information that like, like, you know, we, we weren't coming back after spring break. I mean, she hopped on and just made, like, I probably made at least, like, 10 different videos on, like, how to access information or how to access different platforms. It was, I mean, it was really amazing. I think that was such an important tool. For me, I, and Alex, maybe you felt this way as well. I felt like I really, really had to, like, tear down, like, the things that I was doing in terms of technology. I closed out most of my blend courses and just had everything in the homeroom because, you know, my, my students were comfortable using blend. Like, it, that was something that we used daily, like, when we were in school, in class. But, you know, this is the first time that a lot of my parents have really seen blend. This, I, I mean, just uh, second grade, you know, mainly uses Seesaw. I think one uses blend. Maybe one uses something else. I mean, it, it's, it was <laughs> it's kind of an overwhelming platform if you're not used to it. And, you know, with third graders at the beginning of the year, you spend so much time kind of like walking them through. All right, this is the portal. This is what a tile is. This is what a tab is.
1: That's uh, what
2: I uh, made screencasts of for parents because they have to learn <laughs> what to do. <laughs> so uh, it was like back to day one. Yeah.
3: And, and it takes, you know, it takes like, it takes kids a while to do that. Like I, like, like at the beginning of every year, like we sort of have Chromebook boot camp for like two weeks of just like going through every little step of like, okay, this is how you like safely take a Chromebook out. You don't want to just pull it out or it's going to damage the plug and then we have to send it off. And then we don't have a Chromebook for three weeks. This is how you open it. This is how you turn it on. I mean, just, and this is how you log into Blend. This is This is your password. This is how you type a capital letter. There's so many little things with technology. <laughs> That that uh that my kids learn, and of course, like parents know most of those things. But you know, just working with the blend interface and some of the some of the more challenging tech issues, like this is how you add two Google accounts to Chrome.
2: Yes, you know, that was it, a
3: nightmare. it is. It's not logging in because it's still like <laughs> it's still on your Ryan Rutherford UT at Gmail account.
2: Oh, I think my favorite is parents or the kids would email us and be like, I can't find blend it. uh, When I go in the course, I can't access anything. And I'm like, are you in your portal? Are you in your students portal? And then they're like, no, 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 we're in the students portal. And then like an hour later, they're like, just kidding. We were in the wrong portal.
0: I've heard that happen to teachers who have students in the district as well when they're trying to do their work.
2: Yes, it's confusing for everyone. And so I I know I had to, part of me was like, how do you not know this? But then I have to remember, like, we train the kids so much to do this. And then flip it. And I mean, I was kind of seeing some of my kids that have a lot of autonomy and or independent kind of being like, I don't know how to do it. Well, it was because they were trying to get too much help from home. And so it's kind of like, like I was saying earlier, like we have to reteach the parents the most in a way and really educate them so that that way they know how to access things and not be frustrated. Because I know, was that word, Ryan, that uh, to joke around with that got coined by the the department was it rage
3: quit rage quit yeah
2: (laughs) they were just so frustrated like we're not doing this today and that's okay it's
3: nine in the morning we've already given up for the day (laughs) and will email your teacher tomorrow like i support that you are fine we will get through this (laughs) take care of yourself
0: that's awesome So we're kind of we're getting close to the end. I'm I'm going to ask you one more question. And then we got some stuff we're going off script with you guys about because both of you guys are going to be working with our new hires in the fall for your appropriate grade levels. What would you recommend to a new hire or anyone returning to the district to help prepare for the likelihood of some sort of distance learning?
2: I would say reflecting on myself being type A, we have to be flexible. I know the unknown freaks me out and we have to be okay with that and we have to be willing to ask for help. I think that's a the big theme for what Ryan and I've talked about today is being willing to say I, I need help and really leaning on each other to collaborate and problem solve and invent and, and talk yourself off the ledge like we have to do and and really get to the heart of what's best for the kids. So give yourself grace. That's one of the big things I, I said when we did our um, trainings beforehand is give yourself grace and remind your kids and their parents to give themselves grace too, because we're on uncharted territory, but we're all better together in this.
0: Ryan, what about you, sir?
2: Just the pieces of
3: advice that I would give is, you know, really approach the situation as a learner. I mean, there's so much out there that we know to do and that we can do. But just if if we as teachers like approach a situation, trying to learn as much as we can in terms of digital learning, I, I think we're going to be really successful with that. Ask for as much help as you as you need. Don't like again. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Uh, it does not make you look weak. It makes you it makes you a stronger teacher when you have more t- or more tools in your toolbox to be able to um, connect with kids and to really keep that at the forefront is you know you are still their teacher you are still looking for ways to find those meaningful connections with kids that's where you're going to find your joy that's where you're going to remind yourself why you chose this profession in the first place
2: going off of that I just want to add I think it's so important to ask the kids how it's going Give them a space to tell you this is terrible and this is why. And then a space for improvements. Um, we did that to kind of gauge how distance learning went, and it was really eye opening. So then I could contact kids and say, You have this problem. What can I do to fix it? Because kids are the ones doing this learning. They're in the trenches with us, and we need to make sure they have a voice and we're listening to them because this is uncharted territory. So they're just as much in it as we are. Um, So we need to make sure that their voices are heard and that we're listening to them.
3: Like, like this has been, like, clearly not a great situation to be in. But one thing that, you know, I'm kind of excited about is, like, the lasting impact that this will have on education. Like, I hope that this really, that this whole situation kind of puts at the forefront of everyone's mind that, you know, things like grades are not what's most important creating those opportunities for learning and sharing our thinking is what a school's main purpose will be. I mean, (laughs) clearly we've seen um, that's like with this whole situation that that school saw our schools, I mean, serve so so many different functions in a society. But, you know, when we think about like in terms of, (laughs) you know, just academics, I really hope that we just like reframe that and push away from like system of accountability and, t- and testing culture and to focus on you know creating thoughtful students creating you know amazing amazing citizens who you know are able to identify their own intellectual um interest and know how to you know really go out into the world and pursue those
1: Right. And so each one of the things that both of you have mentioned, you know, with with Mark's question, I mean, they're all super important and I I cannot imagine what it's going to be like coming, you know, straight out of the university program or a teacher prep program in August and, you know, being able to really help these teachers kind of find find their ground, but oh hey, guess what? You know, you might not be completely in your classroom on day one. So we really appreciate you sharing all all that insight. Uh, Mark, I guess we'll go ahead and transition to our last little segment here. Okay.
0: Sounds good. So this is off script. First thing that comes in your mind, just a little bit of fun. Okay. I'm gonna have and I'll alternate. Ryan, I'm gonna ask you to go first on this question. First thing you want to do once we are out of this stay-at-home order law restriction and it's actually officially safe to go out. First thing you're going to do.
3: Oh, jeez. First thing I'm going to do, you know what? I'm <laughs> I, i I'm a, I'm a big foodie. I want to, I can't tell you which one it's going to be right now, but like, I love to cook, but I love to eat. I want to go, <laughs> I, I miss going out to restaurants. I want to go somewhere that makes food so complicated that there is no way that I can replicate that at home. And goodness knows that I have tried. I don't know what that's going to be. Like, my roommate tried to make sushi. She was moderately successful with it.
0: I want to know the name of that restaurant when you when you find it.
3: <laughs> I think it's going to be, um, I think I'm going to try and go back to a Shabu Shabu restaurant. I can't, rather the Tatsuya people have one, I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head. It's super pricey, but it, man, is it good! And okay. I cannot do that at my house. Is I like that's a that, that's a whole setup.
0: <laughs> Alex, what about you? First thing.
2: First thing, I'm gonna do. Um, we are people of habits. And so I literally, my teaching partner is my best friend and our husbands are really good friends. And we go out to eat with them at Maudie's every single Friday and we have a spot and they know my order and they know what I want and they have it ready. And I'm just longing for that so much just to go sit in that sticky little area and watch TV with sports on and eat my gluten-free stuff. <laughs> so that's the first thing I'm so doing. So <laughs> the
0: Maudie's there at Slaughter and Brody? Yes. So you'll both love this next question. Okay. And Alex, I'll go first with you. What is your absolute favorite Austin restaurant?
2: I would say Josephine House. They have Steak Night on Monday nights, where it's um prefixed three course meal, and my husband and I always go there to like celebrate things. So like the end of every school year, we used to go or anniversary, um, and it's outside in this cute little house, and it's just amazing. So I'd say probably Josephine House for. Specifically, steak night and the vibe there.
0: Where is that located?
2: Um, it is right behind Clark's Oyster Bar. So, it's is it Matthew's Elementary? Okay. It's over there. It's right next to Jeffrey's. So, Jeffrey's okay. is like the super fancy version, and then Josephine's is the reasonable reasonable version next door.
0: Awesome. So, Ryan, I can't wait to hear the, the answer to this oh, question I have from you. So sir. Many.
3: Gosh. I mean, it really depends on the kind of food that I'm like feeling that day. <laughs> okay, I have I've only been there a handful of times because it's it's a restaurant that on my teacher salary I have to save up for. But man, like I said, I'm a big foodie. One of my absolute favorite shows is Top Chef, and one of the season's winners, uh, Kristen Kish, has a restaurant at the Line Hotel downtown called Arlo Gray. Oh my god, it is it is just like the most exquisite food that I've ever, it's so good. And it's like all these like simple things like that. I think that I can make at home and then I go home and then I try and they're just disasters. man. Yeah. That's a kind such great food. That's an event.
0: So Ryan, I'm going to start with you. Favorite place to get a taco in Austin.
3: Ooh. I love how
0: our theme is food for these questions. That's not always the case, but I love it.
3: Hey, I haven't had breakfast yet. So I mean, I'm like, okay, what am I doing with my life now? Gosh, favorite place. You know, I think I really like Tacos Veracruz that's at Radio. I uh, think they, they make I mean, I, I've never had a bad taco from there. And, you know, it's it's a cool, I mean, it's at a cool like coffee shop. So, you know, you go there and get some really delicious breakfast tacos. You can go get um some fish tacos for dinner or lunch or dinner or some mole. So you said
0: the radio there off of South uh, off of Manchac? Yeah. Uh,
3: okay. like, yeah, Manchac near uh, seventy-one. Okay. I mean, it's like those are hard to beat. Okay, so Alex. Like, I just keep talking about tacos. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Alex's favorite
2: place. And popular opinion. I'm from San Antonio, so I don't really like Austin awesome tacos. What? Uh, I oh. love. My husband hates it, but. Matt, you might know it. I love this place in San Antonio called Las Palapas and they're like slowly starting to move up and it's just nostalgic in my childhood and it's like, slowest fast food ever in your life you can go eat in or you can wait for 30 minutes in your car through their drive-thru and so I literally plan trips to Las Palapas when I'm like oh I have to go to the dentist next month like I'm gonna go Las Palapas or if I'm gonna go visit my family I'm like I can't go on Sunday because Las Palapas isn't open (laughs) and so my teaching partner her husband's also from San Antonio so him and I both like have this passion for it and so we'll always arrange I'm like hey if you're going to San Antonio will you pick me up a couple tacos from there so I'm not an Austin taco person I know that will probably get me like blacklisted from Austin restaurants now but that's fine
1: I can appreciate a good Las Palapas taco too awesome again we want to thank you all for participating in today's podcast We really appreciate all of your insight, all of your perspective. And most importantly, we really appreciate you for what you do for students. And um, we look forward to seeing the wonderful things that you're going to do collaboratively in the future. And again, we appreciate you joining us today.
2: Thanks for the invite. Yeah, thanks for having us.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's podcast.
1: Please be sure to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, and SoundCloud.
0: These podcasts are produced by the Professional Learning Department of the Austin Independent School District.
1: Follow us on Twitter at AustinISDPL.
0: Until next time, stay safe, my friends.